welcome to the Families Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. We're a membership-based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners and other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Good morning. My name's Kerry Bull and I'm here today with Kate Clough. Welcome, Kate, to our Family Voices podcast. Thank you, Kerry. Uh, really good to, to meet with you, Kate. You're wanting to talk with us today about some of the decisions you've needed to make for your family and how you've gone about making those decisions, mm. like the decision-making process, if you like. And mm. um, that's of real interest to a lot of families. You, you're also wanting to share your experiences with early intervention services. Yes, that's right. Great. Well, maybe, Kate, just to get us started, to set the scene for us, you can tell us a bit about your family. Yeah, sure. Um, we're a traditional nuclear family with mum, dad and two children. Uh, Miriam is 11. She's the eldest and she has a sibling, Aaron, who's seven. Uh, Miriam was born with bilateral sensory neural hearing loss, which is a permanent disability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it's Miriam that you're wanting to talk with us about in particular in terms of her hearing loss. Can you take us back, Kate, to when you first learned that, that she had a hearing loss? Mm. We were one day um, in hospital, so she'd been born and she was a part of the newborn hearing screen. Um, from memory, that was quite new to Victoria and not all hospitals were doing it. Um, so in hindsight, we feel quite grateful that she was picked up so soon. Um, that test came back with some abnormalities um, and they said, hmm, maybe it's congestion from the birth. Uh, come back in a week and we'll test again. So we did that and there were still some abnormalities. Uh, so we were sent off or referred to the children's hospital maybe a month or two later During that time, I remember being asked at the children's hospital, do you think there's uh, an issue with her hearing? And I said, no, everything's fine. (laughs) Um, But then we found out at that appointment that there was a disability. Can you talk a little bit more about that time from day one? So newborn, you're first born, um, and you're starting to worry then about her um, having a hearing loss. Can, can you talk a bit more about that? Mm. I think the first thing that I uh, went into was uh, sadness initially. I was mm-hmm. just shock and sad. 
um, they would be the only words to describe it really. And in, in, you know, later on down the track, I heard grief is a normal part of the process and that, that describes what I was going through quite, quite strongly. Mm. And, and specific grief over, you know, inverted quotations, the normal baby, mm. um, the uncertainty for the future. So my understanding of uh, the newborn hearing screen, which is rolled out across Australia now and, and is picking up babies at this very early stage, day one, mm. um, but then some further testing needing to be done to, to clarify uh, um, Miriam's hearing loss. My understanding is there's some big decisions for parents to make at that time. Mm. Can you talk about what those big decisions were for you? Absolutely. So um, after the the children's hospital appointment, we very quickly went, were told, you know, that day provided pamphlets and information of the different types of interventions that were open to us. Um, so uh, quite, there are two very different streams. Uh, one is the oral stream and one is the sign language stream. So I have an up until Miriam was born, I didn't know anything really about the deaf community. Um, so that's the big decision that we were faced very, very early on. Um, yeah, so we did a couple of things in, in to try and make those decisions. But the first thing we was um, guided towards was talking to other families of children who had um, a hearing loss. That, that connection didn't work, Kerry. I don't know why. I don't remember back to that, but I remember reaching out a few times saying, I would love to speak with another family, um, but that connection not working. Um, so we, we really fell into research. Uh, we're not researchers or, or policy writers or anything like that, but we had both studied at university and, and felt we could, so this is my partner and I, could navigate our way around uh, research articles and um, empirical studies. So I remember going to the Cochrane Library and looking up all kinds of different uh, articles and not all of it would have made sense to me. There was a lot of jargon and lingo at the time that I, I didn't understand. But, you know, I usually read the intro and the conclusion and skip to the bits that do make sense, which is, uh, you know, so-and-so tried this intervention with these outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. So that was probably something I did for the first year really was really get into a lot of the, the research. Um, at the same time though, we met with both of the intervention providers. Um, they came to our home. Uh, you know, it was usually the team leader would sit with us with their brochures and talk us through what their service would provide. Um, so that was, that was significant for me. And I, I must admit, I think the personality of the person attending my home and how they described their service uh, would have been a part of my decision-making <laughs> uh, at that point. So if I was able to, you know, ask a lot of questions uh, and not feel judged and, and perhaps they not talking about the other service in a negative way, that would have been favourable to me in that moment. Mm. So personality, the, the kind of relationship that you, you built with the professional? Correct, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I seem to remember we also tried uh, an initial group 
session. It was called Mother Goose. So before we'd even signed the, the dotted line, because it did feel like that care, it felt very much like this decision would pave the way and you certainly couldn't do both. It had to be one or the other. So there was a lot of nervousness around choosing the right pathway. Um, and as we leaned towards one, we went to their group session and, and met the other parents and families and other uh, staff. Mm-hmm. So the Mother Goose program was almost like a sort of a transition or an entry point into to really test out one of your <laughs> one of the programs so you could make a decision. Is that right? That's, exact, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's mm. a lovely program, the Mother Goose program, and it's got some <laughs> nice evidence behind it, which I'm sure oh. you know if you've done the research. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I ever researched Mother Goose, oh. um, but it was. It, it seemed like a great thing to do, and I mean, I had to travel quite a way to go to it, but I, I did do that. Mm. So it sounds to me, Kate, like you were making your decision by pulling all of those to get things together, the research, um, listening to professionals about different approaches, giving it a go and, and mm-hmm. making a decision. At what point did you make that decision? It felt like quite a while, really. Um, and it was, it was an agonising decision. I, I did have a friend that I reached out to. She lived in another state and she just so happened to be working as a teacher's aide in a school that had deaf children. So she learned Auslan. Actually, there's a funny story there, um, as I, or ironic, really. When I was pregnant, we were chatting and she said, you should learn Auslan. It's great mm-hmm. for you to interact with your baby with. And I went away and I looked into it and went, oh, that's too hard. I'll just learn baby sign and, and do a few simple signs. So, yeah, the irony is I then needed to learn Oz. <laughs> yeah. Can I go back to that um, issue of the families that you tried to be connected with in those very early days of, of Miriam's life? You said that didn't work out. Was that just because the connections weren't made for you? Correct. Absolutely. Uh, so my name was on a list uh, and I just didn't get a call. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, okay. and then I remember calling and going, hey, I'd really talk to, like to talk with someone and then still didn't get a call. So I, yeah. I don't know where that, that rupture or break, break in the system was. Yeah. Mm. But you, at that time, you felt that it w- would have been helpful. And in retrospect, looking back now, 11 years, in mm. retrospect, do you think that would have been helpful to talk to some other parents at that point? At that point, I still think it may have been, you know, I, I, I then did other things, though. So I spoke with parents at the Mother Goose, for example, and yeah. very much had other opportunities a bit further down the path. Mm-hmm. Um, early days, there was something else I did instead, which was go to uh, deaf arts and cultural events. Um, so just put my toe in the deaf community. Uh, and, I, you know, in hindsight, that may have taken that gap filled that gap I you know as I said at the beginning one of my biggest concerns was for her future it now felt even more unknown and to see these inspirational uh, deaf actors and and deaf authors and things uh, really helped me have a bit of sense of calm over the over the future potential yeah that's a nice way of describing it Kate a sense of calm at a time when there were such decisions to be made and and you really learning a lot through then other families, the deaf community, mm. um, through the research, through uh, services and, and programs, yeah, but but needing to be calm about this decision. I get that, yeah, mm. yeah. 
So your decision was made then, Kate. But Mm -hmm. families have lots of decisions to make uh, when they have a child with a developmental delay or disability. It's really what's um, interesting to me about your decision. It was was a really big decision at that very early stage of her life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kate, have you used a similar kind of process for making other big decisions about Miriam or about your other child or about family life? Yes, we have. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. Um, sometimes feel, I don't know if nerdy is the right word, but um, we've, to the point where we, when we bought a house, we weighted the pros and cons <laughs> and, and came up with a, a number, a figure of, of all the factors and how important they were to us. So in a way we do um, structure our decisions in, in quite a, in quite a, I don't know what kind of way, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, the way that you're describing to me is you're pulling in lots of bits of information, both uh, research, as you've talked about, but talking to other families, talking to to friends, um, going to other professionals, hearing their views and weighing all of that up to to do your pros and cons list. And there's always gut feeling in there, I must say. So it's it's not heavily weighted, but it's... There's room for how I feel in my chest when I'm thinking about a decision to to sway me one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gut feeling is what families often talk with me about. <laughs> and in terms of those decisions and that gut feeling, has there been times when you and your partner who are making these decisions together have had different ideas about which way to go? Absolutely. Yeah, not so much in in the journey of which service provider to choose. I think I was leading that. Mm-hmm. You know, he was working and I was at home with the baby. So um, we certainly talked through things, but I was the primary decision maker. Uh, but in other areas, we've we've had uh, not conflict, but um, disagreement or, or not alignment in our decisions. Yeah. I guess that's where the pros and cons list helps. Yes. Yeah. Which side's bigger? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice way of, of quantifying it. And who's Cat- most who's who's impacted by it the most? So if we're stuck, we if we're stuck for a decision one way or the other, and maybe the pros and cons list is similarly weighted, but who who's going to receive who's going to be impacted by that decision the most? And so if it's the children, we'll take on the burden more than they will. That, that's how we would, um, I suppose, make the tiebreaker. Hmm. But the tiebreakers, then the decisions for Miriam, I think you're describing to me, are not just about Miriam, they're about your whole family. They are, absolutely. Yeah. The flow-on effect every step yeah. of the way is, yeah. is huge, is important to think about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kate, can I go back to research you talked about that you went to you went to the Cochrane Library you went to the the place where you could find articles and you knew how to navigate all of that have you used any of the other sorts of uh, services that can distill that research information for you for example the Raising Children Network has a way of describing for families what's good evidence oh my goodness absolutely I from the Raising Children Network has been my go-to uh, website at every step of the way for all my children. So if I'm ever wondering vaguely about something, mm. I'll go straight to the Raising Children Network. Yep. Yeah. 
Oh, that, that's that's good to hear. Mm. Kate, can we switch tack a bit and um, perhaps move from Miriam's early days when you were making that big decision to then when you, you chose an early intervention program? Can you talk about your early experiences with early intervention? Mm. All positive. I don't. I didn't have any negative experiences. So supportive uh, practitioners coming into my home, meeting me, meeting with me and my family and Miriam as often as is needed. Whether that's weekly or fortnightly or monthly, it changes over time. They followed my area of intrigue at the time. Whether that's uh, Auslan classes or um, future schools that are available in my state or wherever my mind was thinking, you know, notwithstanding the intervention they were doing with my child mm. <laughs> sitting on the ground playing. So that's the foundational stuff. But for me, it was them following my, my, yeah, my interest at the time and providing me with information to, to further that. Yeah, it's such an important role of early intervention, isn't it, to to provide the information and resources so families can get on with being a family. Mm. Yeah. And not all at the one time, not all at the beginning session, mm-hmm. so to really be led by where I was at. Yeah, yeah. And and that was home-based, Kate? They came to your home? Uh, home-based and I would go to them. So they, you know, they ran external kindies or, or deaf kindy and mother goose and story times, but... Uh, they were all, I suppose, extra to the home-based support, yes. Yeah. What works best at that time, Kate? You've talked about it being home and, and them following you, your intrigues. <laughs> um, what, what else worked well for you at that time? I have strong memories of being on the floor. Uh, it was a, a teacher of the deaf and, um, say, the, the caseworker or key worker there showing me how to use... Auslan in those moments um, to uh, facilitate Miriam's language. Um, yeah, and then integrate that into our everyday life, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense to me, Kate. So that integrating into your family life is a, such a critical piece, isn't it? So that then you and your family are all uh, being a family and also supporting Miriam's development at the same time. Mm, so by them showing me how to do it in this toy, in this game, I was then able to do that at feeding time or at nappy changing time, yeah. So they showed you some things. Did you also show them about what worked from your perspective and from Miriam's perspective? I do remember that, yeah. Um, I do remember on occasion really connecting in that way that it was not just a one way, it was a a two way. And, And it's such a great question because it was, those moments of connection with this other human being that really, hmm, yeah, I don't know, it just brings such emotion actually. It just went next level, I think, Kerry, just next level Mm -hmm. of support and, yeah, being there together in this moment. Mm. Yeah. As professionals, we often talk about the partnership, Kate, (laughs) and it sounds like you had a partnership and that it uh, it was nicely balanced that you were in the driver's seat and that the key worker or teacher of the deaf was wanting to learn from you as much as you were wanting to learn from her. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. Yeah. And as you said that, I was thinking how how much that was helped by having the one worker. We were so lucky to have 
the one teacher of the deaf for so many years, there wasn't a lot of change for us. And mm. I've, I've heard from other families that's been different. And I think that partnership that you highlight was facilitated by that. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she was around and part of, part of your family's uh, changing times over that period. Absolutely. And it yeah. was, it was um, hard to say goodbye. She was mm. that much a part of our lives. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Kate, what's been most helpful for you in navigating services or therapy approaches? I think the most helpful thing for me has been the the space to ask a lot of questions um, without judgment. Yeah, so the the time and space to consider my options uh, without feeling trapped into making a decision now one way or the other. Mm. I think also meeting meeting the ther- the therapist or the service is also really important to me before I have to sign on a dotted line. And that's, that's not always been easy to have. Yeah. Mm. This, this time and space to ask questions and consider options is part of all of the decisions that we make as parents, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. You also mentioned no judgment. Mm. This is, such a critical part of that partnership that we were talking about earlier, isn't it? That the professionals not judging. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I would feel, yeah, I'd feel less open to that person if I felt judged and I would feel uh, much disinclined to, to go with whatever that person was there to talk with me about if I'd yeah. felt mm. judgment. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Kate, looking back, 11 years now, uh, Miriam's 11 years old. Is there anything you'd do differently? I think, Kerry, it's what I wouldn't do differently. Uh, <laughs> um, in, in, talking through, in talking through what we did to make the decision, I, I, I remembered that I had some people saying, oh, calm down, stop, stop trying so hard, stop looking at so many options, um, but in hindsight, I think the looking through all those options thoroughly was, A, who I am. I want to know the landscape before I make my decision. Um, and I, I'm very happy, very happy in hindsight. What a, what a great way to reflect. Yeah. Kate, is there something you know now that you wished you knew back then? Yes, it gets easier, Kerry. <laughs> um, I think... In hindsight, I'm able to see that at the very early stages, I wasn't just dealing with a child with a disability and all that that brought with it, but a baby that I'd never done before. So over time, um, they separate out. She becomes more independent and communicate better. And then I'm just dealing with the not just the practical things, but the emotions of knowing things are progressing and things will progress. Um, I also, as time goes on, I also think that um, I, I knew the services, I knew what was available to me and, and what that could provide. So I wasn't this grey unknown out there. It was a landscape I was familiar with. Um, I also had been to the hearing tests every six months and they were familiar to me now. They weren't this big, scary, emotional event. So that, that ability to prepare and know what was coming de-stressed as time went on. 
Um, you know, not to mention other things like that we're in a routine, so I know how to change the batteries in the hearing aids. And as time went on, now she changes the hearing aids, so things get easier. Um, and as well as um, the jargon, I, I know what, how to say my child is deaf and all the different ways of saying that. I feel comfortable with the way I describe her and she describes herself and I felt comfortable with the, the medical jargon. All these things added layers that um, created greater stress and burden that I don't have anymore. Mm. Mm. So it gets easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some words of wisdom. <laughs> okay, before we finish up, I'd like to go back to a comment you made um, earlier in our conversation about one of the things you did in the early days was to start participating in some of the deaf arts and cultural events. Can you share with us a bit more about that and what that meant to you? Mm-hmm. Great pickup because that was um, in one moment in particular had, uh, had long lasting, has long lasting impacts on, on how I, from one small moment view and, and interact with my child and my hope for her future, as well as, how I view disability in general, I think, as well. So that, that moment was uh, I was at a, a theatre by a, a, a local deaf artist who was putting on a puppet show called The Grimstones, and I was able to meet her and her partner at the end, and that was a very emotional time for me to see such an uh, inspirational, successful adult with a hearing loss. Um, and I've since followed her around, Kerry, <laughs> um, from stalls at, at uh, markets to book launches uh, mm. to seeing her on the bus once and getting all excited and chatting to her. Um, I think she's my mentor. Might not be Miriam's, <laughs> but she's mine, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure Miriam has others. We all need mentors. We all need people to inspire us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. yeah. yeah. Kate, thank you for sharing that story. That's a great place for us to end this conversation. But to sharing other insights about your family, could you, Kate, thank um, Miriam and the rest of your family on our behalf yeah, for, we'll do. for sharing that story? And um, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me on. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. See you, Kerry. I found Kate's reflection on the past decade so insightful. She told us that there were several things that helped her make good decisions for her family, including talking things through with people close to her, listening to the views of professionals and learning from the current research. One of the things that interests me about this is that early intervention professionals use those three elements as a description of evidence-based practice. That is a decision-making process that includes the wisdom and experience of families, the expertise of professionals and the best available evidence. Kate drew on practical strategies like writing up a pros and cons list, but also acknowledged the role gut instinct played in her decisions. She also thought that it would have been helpful to talk with other parents who had a shared experience in those early days. This connection can be easier for families now through family advocacy organisations like the Association for Children with a Disability or Children and Young People with Disability Australia. There are also disability-specific parent advocacy groups that are really helpful in linking families together. But one of the things that was so powerful for me 
was hearing about Kate's early connection with the deaf community. Those experiences clearly had a profound effect on Kate. She was inspired and saw exciting possibilities for the future when Miriam was very young. And she's kept those connections and the positivity they bring to this day. Kate was also very moved when she was reflecting on the early days in Miriam's life when the teacher for the deaf came to her home. The relationship she built with the key worker over many years and her non-judgmental approach was clearly important. A real partnership or two-way connection, as Kate described it. The key worker's approach to providing intervention supports was what we know works best for families. Not just showing Kate how to support Miriam's development, but wanting to learn from Kate and Miriam about what works for them. Being led by the family's needs and embedding learning into daily life, that's what good early intervention looks like. Early intervention that's based on the best available research, family needs, and wisdom and expertise professionals can contribute. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what types of conversations are helpful to you. More information about the podcast can be found on ekiavic.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.